Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I don't remember if we had them last year either, but I guess we did. Boy, I tell you, life's but a vapor, isn't it? Man, things go so quickly. And um, we appreciate it. I telling, I was riding over here with uh, Joseph. He tagged along with me here, and I said, I'm not used to this. I'm used to, you know, campus preaching and itinerating and these three, four, or five. Some fella called me to do a revival down in Florida here um, in 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 a couple of weeks, and I told him you got the wrong phone number. Uh, no, I got the right number, so I'm, I'll be heading down to Florida. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> Amen. God's a present help in trouble, isn't he? <laughs> Amen. So we just appreciate you, folks. We're consider you. We just consider y'all family. Just family. Pray for you often. Pray for your church. Pray for you. Just everybody here, you know, really uh, close, close friends here. We're, you know, I appreciate everybody here. Really do. And uh, love you all. Pray for Sonia and our children. Thank you. I know you do. But uh, we've had some sickness in just last week or so. It rebounds and, oh, man, just going through it. I don't know if they made it to church tonight or some of them did, I think. And then mom's having to play Clara Barton, you know, and nurse everybody. So uh, so praise God. We're thankful we got victory and uh, living for Jesus. Amen. Amen. And we're, we're missionaries, and we thank you for sending us. I really mean that. We are missionaries, and you're a missionary too, everybody here. But I mean, well, you know what I mean. Some folks just go to different places. But I read this quote about missionaries, a guy by the name of Robert Shannon. He said, never pity missionaries. Envy them. They are where the, they are where the real action is, where life and death, sin and grace, heaven and hell converge. So, we covet your prayers also for the Ukraine. I know you've been praying over there, and you all know we'd, we've been going over there probably for since '03 that I remember doing youth camps over there. But it's, it's not about um, the humanitarian thing. Amen? Uh, a lot of people, you know, we're seeing that happen. And that's good. We need to do that. I'm not, I'm not throwing off on that. But, um, Oswald Chambers said, in missionary work, the great danger is that God's call will be replaced by the needs of the people to the point that human sympathy for those needs will absolutely overwhelm the meaning of being sent by Jesus. We tend to forget that the one great reason underneath all missionary work is not primarily the elevation of the people, their education, nor their needs, but is first and foremost the command of Jesus Christ. Go ye therefore. Amen. And so that is 
the greatest mission statement I've ever read. A lot of people appeal to the, you know, and, and, and again, I know that's part. We, I built orphanages, you know, and helped do that, and that's all fine. But you, you can go to, I mean, you can go straight to hell like Mother Teresa would do. She'd spoon feed people right to hell, you know, and never tell them about Jesus. You know? So that's, that's evil. It's hateful. It's unloving. And, um, People can say what they want, but that's what it is. So, so um, pray for the the spiritual welfare of the Ukrainians over there. They're solid. You know, European missions is very, very good. You know, very. It's just different than South America or Haiti or Mexico. It's all good to me. But I, we've tried to preach the gospel over there and do youth camps for years and. Brother Thompson is helping us, or I've helped him for years. He's 83 years old, and I've been talking to him, you know. He makes contact with the, the, the interpreters over there, the interpreter and then pastors. And there's 10 or 12 churches, but they've mothered and sistered other churches. So there's just a host of believers over there that have sprung out of this two brothers that started the work in 1991 when the wall came down under Reagan. So... Remember, Brother Thompson and um, the rest of the work there. We appreciate it. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. We're going to turn on the Bible here. Appreciate the song and and the worship here. We're in John chapter 7. I want to preach here tonight on that living water. Amen. Rivers of living water. Nothing complicated here. Uh Nothing uh, that's difficult to understand. But uh, I want to caution us as well. You know, the Holy Ghost came into the world to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so it may not be something God, you know, dealing with you tonight, maybe that is what we would call, you know, gross, aberrant sin and you're such an incorrigible, you know, that, that that's not it. We're talking about some of these little foxes that want to spoil the vine, you know. These things can start small, you know. It it don't it takes one snowflake to start a blizzard. Ain't that right, Brother Brian? He's from the we one wisp of wind and here comes a hurricane, you know. One grain of sand and we've got the Sahara Desert just inundated with a sandstorm, you know. It starts little. So here we're at John 7, verse 37 to 38. We're reading here. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In Ezekiel 47, we might get a little, and we may wax a little school of Christ-y tonight, but it's always good to be reminded, isn't it? Ezekiel 47 
Verse number 11. You know the story. Ankle deep, knee deep, up around the waist, waters to swim in. And um, they issue out and come forth and uh, just great healing and great life springing out of this. Amen? But verse number 11. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. Over in, finally, in First Peter chapter number 4 and verse number 17 and 18. First Peter 4, verse 17 and 18. For well, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if, first, if it first begin at us, what shall the end be to them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Sobering words here. Father, we ask you to anoint here. You're the anointed one, Lord. And God, we're asking, Lord, I'm asking and pleading with you, God, please move here tonight. God, without the Holy Ghost moving here, we're just, it's dead in the water, Lord. I mean twice dead, plucked up by the roots, Lord. We need you, Lord, the Spirit of God to quicken, bring revelation, Lord, and a deep revelation. Help us to walk with you, God. Grant us, Lord, the, the mind of Christ, Lord. I mean, what other mind could we have, Lord? Give ears to hear here, God. We plead with you, God, and pray. God, speak to hearts here. And we're not home yet, God. This is food for the journey. God, we've got to make it. We've got to go all the way, no matter what people are saying and no matter what's going on. In your name, we thank you so much. And bind every God imp and idiot and demon from hell right now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know what an idiot is, you look it up. It's, it's bad. Hallelujah. Henry Ford is known to have said, if you always do what you always done, you always get what you always got. Now, that, that may be like twofold, that quote there. You know, getting the same results without change for the better. You know, as far as Henry Ford is concerned, we'd be driving Model A's and Model T's still, wouldn't we? Ford knew that. He knew that. But God is smarter than Henry. And for our sakes and purposes, we aren't preaching a gospel according to Henry Ford. Nevertheless, amen... The spiritual connotation is just simply what I come up as a military term and I've learned is up or out. Up or out. Amen. And so there are two principles in the Bible that come to mind that we cannot violate. They're always there, ever present before us. Number one is the principle of sowing and reaping. And the next one is the principle of neglect. The first one involves you and I doing something. The second one involves you and I just simply not doing anything. Brother Charlie's got them dogs at the house over there. Just pet them on the head and don't feed them for a couple of weeks. Don't warm them. Don't just neglect them and you'll see what happens. Amen. And you neglect your soul. Amen. 
This is exactly what happens. Just simply neglect. Amen. Change. Amen. Change. We're talking about change. We're talking about not always getting what we've always got. Amen. And so most people kind of avoid this kind of change because it costs too much. Amen. It costs too much in the physical, in the, in the spiritual, in the emotional, in the mind. Amen. And it can become a hard taskmaster. Truth can. If you let it be a, a hard taskmaster. If you let it. And so the cost is counted too high for most people. And so this leads me really to another quote. Amen. I, I don't, I'll just call it anonymous. I didn't get the name on this one. But the man said, men occasionally stumble over the truth. But most just pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. And that is the absolute truth. Amen. Listen, folks, men have a higher estimate of themselves than God does. Men have a higher estimate of themselves than God does a lot of times. And only one way to fix the spiritual maladies, amen, amen, is to destroy that which is, shall we say, clogging up the dam. Amen? Unstopping the river. Removing the impediment. Amen? Only one power is able to do that, and I think we know that here. We're going over nothing new here, but it's the Holy Ghost. The only way for this to be removed. Amen. God does not dwell passively in a Christian. He's not going to dwell there passively. Amen. Inside of you and I. Amen. He wills and He works inside of us. Amen. And, 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 and the scripture in fact says, I believe it's Philippians 2 and 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's good news. Amen. But too many people dig the heels in. Too many people when the Holy Ghost begins to deal and speak and talk and move. Amen. And so what kind of habitat can he dwell in? What kind of habitation can we, can we find? I, I have a little thing off your Toyota, your former Toyota truck there, Brother Brian. Um, thank you again. We appreciate it. We need to send him some more gas cards. It's getting high, isn't it? It's crazy. But it says performance. And I, I, it fell off the back there, wherever. Maybe it was the name of the automobile place. But I remember a preacher by the name of Bracey Greer. I believe he said this. And I had some cassette tapes on him. He said, perfection is not performance, but it's habitation. It's where we are abiding, and he is abiding inside of us. And so what kind of habitat can he dwell in? He asks nothing but this, a pure heart. That's what he's asking for. He's asking for a single mind, and he desires sincerity and transparency, amen, and humility. Now, transparency is not... A transparent, okay? Remember that, all right? It's a humility and love as God is looking for that ground to work upon, okay? And so God wants that in our lives. The same Henry Ford I quoted before, amen, the story goes where he noticed a fellow by the side of the road, and he was working on, I think, on one of them Model T or A or whatever, them old automobiles that he that he that he that he had and he fell a scratch his head trying he pulled over there got out tinkered cobbled did what and got got the thing running within five 
Ten minutes. Amen. The fellow just stood back astonished. And he said, well, how, how did you know to do that? Well, I ought to know. I designed it. And in the same manner, the Holy Ghost knows. The Lord knows. The Father knows. The triune God of Scripture knows how to fix it new. He doesn't cobble. He doesn't rehabilitate. Amen. He knows how to fix it new because he created it all. Now, in our text, we have the Feast of the Tabernacles going on here. The custom, amen, on the first uh, uh, seven days, rather, of the feast was to retrieve a golden pitcher. And it was brought to the altar and it was poured out at the base of the altar. Notice the location there. Amen. To pour it out, that water before the Lord in remembrance of the Lord's provision in the wilderness of the water that came out of the rock in Rephidim in Exodus chapter 17. I believe I have that right. But the eighth day, which it said here in our text, on the final eighth day, amen, Israel would come out of their booths that they dwelled in, and they were carrying no pitchers of water, amen. And that was symbolic of them entering into Canaan's land, amen, crossing over, amen, the absence of the water, crossing over, pointing to Christ and His words here in John 7. If any man will come after me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Listen, folks, it's the flow of the Holy Ghost inside, amen, working its way outside to do God's good will and pleasure. Out of his belly, from his innermost being. Now, you'll notice here in the text that the word is rivers. It's plural. It's plural. That means there's more than one. Amen? There's an abundant supply there. It's fresh. It's pure. And interpreted here, this river flowing out here, it, it actually means in the Greek, waters that are still in motion. Amen? And so that means there's a constant move of the Holy Ghost through our lives. Amen? Flowing out. Removing the effluent, if I, if you could. We used to ride four-wheelers on a, a dry riverbed over in uh, Swanee County, Alabahal River. And you'd get in there, the river was dry, there were just pockets of water there. Amen. And everything was just stagnant, just stagnant. Nothing moving. I mean, nothing at all. Amen. As compared to that, which means a constant flow. Continually, it's not sporadic, it's not intermittent, it's not something that is temporary, but a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost that you and I can be salt and light, a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost so that you and I can be soldiers, we can be servants, and we can be saints, amen, in this time we live. Now, water is used more than, uh, as far as the representation of the Holy Ghost in the Bible, amen, more than the dove, more than oil. Water is used most frequently here. In Isaiah 44 and 3, the Bible says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry grounds I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine 
offering. And that water is the Holy Ghost. Amen. Isaiah 58 and 11. Amen. Souls would be satisfied. I'm paraphrasing. Springs of water that fail not. What for? Why is this flowing? To repair the breach. Amen. To make up the hedge and the foundations that have been uh, uh, compromised. Are you following? Hezekiah built a conduit that flowed into the city whenever it was besieged in that day. And that was indicating that there would be an inwardly of flow and provision would be made, amen, that the enemy knew nothing about. There's a flow of water going on in there. The conduit. The conduit. Amen. And that vessel is you and that vessel is me. That's what conduit is for. To traverse, to transfer something. To, you know, flow in and go out. Electricity, water, whatever it may be. Amen. Where God wants the Holy Ghost flowing through you and I. Amen. The enemy don't know everything. He's not everywhere. He's not all powerful. Amen. And so the enemy, when he comes in like a flood. Amen. There's an even greater flood that's in the midst of the drought. Your drought, your trial, my tribulation, our difficulties coming. There's a greater flow there, surrounded by the enemy, it seemed like, as Hezekiah was here. And all that's going on, and a host of those imps, amen, and demons attacking our minds and our hearts, amen. Our lives can be filled to overflowing. Joel 2 and 28. And it shall come to pass. Afterward, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters. Do we have any sons and daughters here? Amen. We've got some sons and daughters in here. Shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. I see several young men out here, including me. You'll see visions. The Holy Ghost will be poured out. I will pour my spirit out. And also upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. That is God's desire. It is his perfect will. And if it were not so, he would have told us. Jesus told the woman at the well, you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. It's going to be like a wellspring coming up. Amen. Up of living water. Now, I want to relate to you a story A.B. Simpson told here. Amen. And it's out of the, 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 uh, the verse in Psalm 42 and verse number 1, and you're familiar with it, as the heart panteth after the water brooks. Now, it, it says water brooks. Water brooks are what? They're flowing. They're moving. Amen. So panted my soul after thee, O God. And he related the story here, amen, of an eastern caravan, as I quote, was once overtaken in the desert with the failure of the supply of water. The accustomed fountains were all dried, the oasis was a desert, and they halted an hour before sunset after a day of scorching heat to find that they were perishing for want of water. Vainly, they had explored the usual wells, for they were all dry. Dismay was upon all faces and despair in all hearts when one of the ancient men, uh, one of the ancient men, 
Some of these fellas who knew a thing or two. Remember that. Huh? Some fellas, you know, some fellas get old and they, they don't learn anything over life. You know, they're walking out there with ponytails and stuff stuck up in their head and, you know, they're partying down at the beach or something where you're preaching, you know, wherever. Mardi Gras. And, you know, you've seen them, right? Well, the ancient men here, amen, one of the ancient men approached the sheik and counseled him to unloose two beautiful hearts, those are dear, that he was conveying home as a present to his bride and let them scour the desert in search of water. Their tongues were protruding with thirst and their bosoms heaving with distress. But as they were led out to the borders of the camp and set free on the boundless plain, they lifted up their heads on high and snipped the air with distended nostrils and then with unerring instinct, with a course as straight as an arrow and with speed as swift as the wind, they darted off across the desert. Swift horsemen followed close behind. An hour or two later, they hastened back with the glad tidings that water had been found. Amen. And the camp moved with shouts of rejoicing to the happily discovered fountains. Are you panting for water? Are you thirsty for water? Are you, would you do anything, almost anything, for this living water? He went on to say, it will lead you to heavenly springs. All that I need is in Jesus. He satisfies. He satisfies. It's all in Christ, folks. Everything in Christ. The great command is what? Love Christ with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen. You should do that. And, 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 and that should fix every faint heart. That should fix every, if we love Jesus with all of our heart, then your faint heart, your problem, your situation should be fixed and you should let anything stop that up. Amen. Nothing. You see, we understand this. Word of God. Amen to be true. Every believer. If you're seeking the Holy Ghost, you should keep seeking. If you're not actively seeking, shame on you. Amen. You ought to be, you ought to. In 1987, I was right down here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I remember I'd been praying for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Brother Britt. Amen. Out there where I live, right near the Swanee River, over in Swanee County. And and and, and, I, and and I prayed for seven to eight months probably. I prayed and I prayed. I'd go out there on my day off, and I, and I had this car. You know, I got so mad. I got so frustrated one day. I, I I I slammed the hood of that car. I said, "Lord, why won't you fill me with the Holy Ghost?" Ever been there? Come on, you got to want it. You got to desire it every day. It's got to be free. I'm not saying it has to be like that. I'm just telling you, there's got to be a hunger and a thirst after this. you got to desire it. You can't stop until it's satisfied because Jesus satisfied. And I had a dream during that time, Brother Charlie. Amen. During that time, I'm, I'm so intent on it. I had a dream. Now, I don't agree with what he's doing now, but this is how it happened for me. Swagger come out in his church. You know how it is. It's octagonal. It's got that red carpet. And you all know you've seen it enough. And, and I'm sitting out there, like, on, 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 as he's facing, I'm over on this side. 
and, and he come out in a gray suit, you know, and he preached on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And in that service, I got the Holy Ghost. I come to the altar and prayed up on this side and, 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 and um, and, and, and I, I didn't forget it, but it wasn't, you know, time went on. I kept praying, kept praying, kept pressing. Amen. Got over to a camp meeting, August of 1987, and I got up in the church with some other brothers I knew. We went to the meeting over there. And the second night, he come out, swaggered, in a gray suit. I was sitting on that side, and he preached on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Dreams come true, you know. I'm glad this one did. <laughs> and all of it flooded back into me. It all came back. And all the anticipation came into my soul and my heart and my mind. And I just knew God was going to fill me with the Holy Ghost. I didn't know much about it. I just knew I needed it because someone told me I needed it. I said, yes, sir. I'll obey. I, the Bible says it. I need the Holy Ghost. And I got down there in that altar and I began to pray. And it wasn't long this heavenly language began to fill me. And the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, amen, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, amen, filled me. I got home, had to go to Jacksonville, Florida for a Coast Guard test. I hadn't slept. I got in that 1976 Cadillac I had at the time, Coupe de Ville, you know, fender skirts and 500 cubic inches under the hood. Y'all wouldn't know much about that. Some of us older fellas know. I'd bought that thing, brother. I was, I was, I was, I hadn't married yet. I was single. So I had me a Cadillac. Amen. I'm cruising over I-10 and I'm going over toward Live Oak, Florida and I'm speaking in tongues all the way down. Nine hour drive. I'm talking in tongues. God's filling me, filling me wave after wave after wave. I got there to that little house I lived in, get in the shower and I never felt the presence of the devil and the presence of God in the same place at the same time. Fighting me. You didn't get nothing. You ever been there? You didn't get nothing. Ain't nothing to that. I mean, I'm fighting. I come out of that shower, wrap myself around, and when I got in the hallway, I hit the wall right there. I slid down speaking in tongues. And God had just completely assured me, you're mine, and I filled you. It's real. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And all the time, the Swanee River, you've heard the illustration. I preach, pray down at the Swanee River. And it's flowing, blowing, blowing. It's just blowing. There's my illustration. You've heard it. Please flow. Swanee River flow. Will you please? No, it's flowing already. It was already flowing. Amen. You see, without the Holy Ghost, there's no baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's no redemption. Amen. There's no Bible. There's no universe. There's no creation. There's no human race. There's no power to preach. There's no gospel, no faith, no holiness, no conviction, no Christians. It's more than just this influence or something we think floating around out here. Amen. It's the power of God. Ye shall be witnesses. Ye shall receive power. Amen. And that intense desire is given to you and I to glorify God and to please Christ. To love God, to honor God, to obey God. This should be fundamental to us, folks. Nobody's got to tell you to worship. Nobody's got to tell you to pray. I mean, it's okay. Lift your hands. I'm not against that. You all know what I'm saying. Amen. 
But nobody should have to tell you personally. I mean, worship should be spontaneous. Love for Jesus. You should be full of God. To sing before Him and worship Him and love Him with all your heart. Amen. Nobody should have to tell me that. But the world loves the high octane. The world loves the high energy. Amen. And that feeling machine out there. Amen. That changes nothing at all. I'm talking about something that changes a man. Changes you and I. But there's a danger here. There's a danger that comes in. Listen to the words of Isaiah. Amen. In chapter 1. You probably read them. I'm sure you're, you're going to be familiar. But he said this. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even in the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Now, I understand this was idolatrous Israel. Up one day, down the next. Over and over and over again. But this is happening in churches across America and has been happening for a long time now. It's clear from this God hates false, pretentious worship. It's clear that God hates this. He's fed up with it. It's an abomination. It's iniquitous. Amen? It's hated. It's troublesome to him. This kind of stuff right here will surely stop up your flow. This will plug it right up right here. Amen? Amos went on to say in 5 and 21, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy, vi- of thy viols. Idolatrous Israel here. When worship and prayer and singing and offering and sacrifices and the assemblies become mundane, and repetitious, and dry, and wearisome, and despised, and not heard by God, vain, troubling all of this to God. We better be careful. I said, we better be careful. This is written for our admonition. You see, it becomes evident when people just stop doing. They stop going. You, 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 you slack in your prayer. Vision is getting blurred. The call is not as exciting as it used to be. That vigor and that vigilance is waning. The heart begins to drift. The waters are troubled, but we refuse to get in those waters. Amen. One becomes no use to anybody at home, work, or play. None whatsoever. There's a shift in the attitude. Carnality rules. Affections are displaced. Easily offended. And people just start flying really low. In fact, the story goes, I think I told it, at the other church in Texas, 
of a prairie eagle that got shot. And it's laying out there on that plain. This eagle that used to, at one time, soar the skies. Up in the heavens. Soaring among the lightning and the wind and the storms and the sun. But now it lay dying. Why? Because one time. One time. It flew too low. You see, that's what happens when you don't hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Revelation 3. You see, one deed, it said of the quote, I quote here, one deed may mar a life and one may make it. One deed is all it takes. One day flying too low. One, one time. That's, that's what it takes. You grieve away the Holy Ghost. Amen. You distress and trouble the Holy Ghost. Number one. You resist the Holy Ghost. Amen. You oppose the Holy Ghost. You act. Amen. Against the Holy Ghost. To resist the Holy Ghost. Amen. As as it was quoted in the book of Acts chapter seven and verse 51. Amen. And you quench the Holy Ghost. Amen. To grieve it, to resist it, and to quench the Holy Ghost, folks. It's a dangerous thing to quench the Holy Ghost. To usurp and take place of the authority of the Holy Ghost. That's what quench means. And we got a parcel of them doing it. We got a whole bunch of people that have been doing it for a long time. And judgment will be swift. The story of a young lady. Her desire was not to quench, not to grieve, but to please God. She had this desire to remain pure under her current circumstances at work and at school and at home, amen. And she consulted, amen. She consulted. Most young ladies, well, they do. They grieve, they quench, and they sit on church pews, and they're going straight to hell. They quench the Holy Ghost. They resist the Holy Ghost. They grieve away the Holy Ghost. But this young girl consulted with an older saintly woman. And this is what this older saintly woman told her. She said, and I quote, However much a dove may grovel in filth and mire, because a dove by necessity has to kind of, you know, they live by instincts, and, and, and that's how they do. No matter how much a dove may grovel in filth and mire of the earth, it always retains its purity and whiteness. The reason? There is a continual flow of oil through the dove's wings, which acts as a perpetual cleanser. Did you hear that? How true of the Holy Ghost. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Psalm 92 and 10. Everybody gets around you. You get around them. And it shows their attitude. Something's stopping the flow. When I worked in the Coast Guard over there on the St. John's River, one of a couple of rivers in the world that flow from south to north. It goes due north, and it doglegs over to the east, into the jetties in Jacksonville, Florida. And what's happening and what's going on is the flow of the ocean is trying to get in and the river is trying to get out. 
There's a fight there. There's a warfare going on. Battle of the river and the Atlantic Ocean. You see, in these final days of time, perilous times, hell is making a bid for your soul and for my soul. He's going to jam your life and your heart and your mind with impediments, with distractions, with obstacles, and the slippery slope to degeneration begins. Not me, Brother Matt. All right. My brother was about 12, 13 years old. I had an older brother. He was born in 59. And... It was 1972, and I remember it because, you know, it was December 25th. It was Christmas night, okay? And we're, you know, we're, I'm, 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 I'm 11, you know, 10, 11 years old, probably 11. And all of a sudden, me, my, my, my little brother, my big brother, we shared a room. We had bunk beds, you know. You all know about that, right? And, and 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 all of a sudden I heard like my, my my older brother was gagging or something was right. So like we called out, here come dad, and we light come on, he's blue in the face. He's choking or something's going on. And he's doing like this. He's having an epileptic fit or something. Long story short, for the next thirteen years, he had what they call a brain degenerative disease. And it's just begun to slowly eat away and eat away degenerate his body and just just brain cells that do not regenerate as far as I know. It, it, it just begins and it gets it, it just goes down a little more until we had to put him in 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 um twenty four hour care in in an old uh uh you know converted veterans hospital over there where where we lived. And and, and I was in boot camp, I remember when they called me out, I knew he was in bad shape, but they called me out of boot camp about fifth or sixth week, you know, and he had died. But before he died, brother, I got to speak to him about his soul. I'm about three years into this thing. It's 1985. I'm probably three, four years maybe, just really pretty young, and, and I'm talking to him about his soul. And he couldn't talk. He just couldn't talk. He just could slur, and that was it. But he could understand me. What I was saying, he could understand and comprehend. And I began to talk to him about his soul. I said, Steve, if you die, are you ready to meet God? And he got a great big smile on his face. He kind of turned his head and he nodded it, yes. Now, I don't know how that happened. I don't know when. I don't know. I just don't know how that could happen. But by his own testimony, that's all I have to go on, brother. That's it. But over time, over time, that begin to eat away. And that's what happens. Simply stated, the obstruction has to be identified. The degeneration stuff, you gotta identify this stuff, amen. What, what is preventing this? What is causing this to happen? Now listen, I'm, I'm getting close to, uh, bear with me. Y'all good? Amen. amen. Beavers are amazing animals. Alright? Where we live, we've got a, we've got a beaver working in the area right there where we live in Missouri over there. They're large bodied. They got powerful jaws now. And, 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 and they've got these four teeth. If they don't keep gnawing on something, those teeth will actually grow around 
and grow up and grow right into their skull. I've seen the skulls of these things where they didn't keep chewing and keep those things whittled down. Those things will grow right up into their skull and they'll die a gruesome death. Amen. But they, they, they got that flat tail there for balancing and for warning and, and, and the fur and they're good swimmers and all of that. And, and I read, I wonder what the biggest beaver dam is. And I pulled it up and I found out that there was one over there in Alberta, Canada at Wood Buffalo National Park. Fifteen years ago, this ecologist, you know, tree hugger type, I guess, was up there on Google Earth. He was on Google Earth, and he got up there, and he was just looking at stuff, you know, and, and probably this area, you know. And, and he saw something very, very odd, and he zoomed in on it. And long story short, he put his boots on the ground, and he went to this place, and it was a beaver dam, amen, 2,790 feet long. That's pretty big. Over 30 years. Do you know how many beaver families it took to build that thing and keep it going over 30 years? Two. Two families of beavers and their kids. Now you think about that. It don't take much to stop up the flow in your life and in a church house, does it? Huh? It don't take much for one or two members. Listen, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. You get one that's stuck and, and, and they'll build a dam and they'll get that thing as high and long and wide and then boy, I'll tell you what, here we go. My boys got smart enough, you know, they think they're big dogs, you know. And they were, they were, you know, wrestling or something, you know, tearing up the sheetrock or whatever and just, Carrying on. I think it was Silas and Ben. Yeah, it had to be. There was a snowstorm outside. We had about six inches of snow. I said, come here, boys. I opened the front door. I said, take your socks. Take, take, take your shoes off. I think I told him, get him barefoot. I said, I want you to do some laps around this house. You ain't listening, and I'm going to fix you. This right here and right now. What are you saying? That's just a little illustration. And they did. They, kept, they did some laps around there. And, they're, and, they're, and I, I think they had stockings on. I think they had stockings on. I'm not that hard of a taskmaster now. Okay. Now that I'm recollecting, okay, don't report me, all right? And so, I, you know, I mean, what are you saying? you you got to nip it, nip it, nip it, right? Huh? Well, that's what happens here. These beavers, they're objective, amen. And by the way, that 2,790-foot span was twice the span of the Hoover Dam. That's pretty big. These beavers' objective is to get a large tree, get it lodged in the flow, and the building begins. Little by little, they pack mud, sticks, all that stuff. And at first, it appears that the water is flowing unabated. But those first logs that they position, they position them with the flow of the river. With the flow of the river. They go with the flow. You know, people can do that. Huh? We'll stick this thing in the mud. Nobody will see it. You see, that's what happens. Amen. David said, it wasn't my enemy. It was someone I went to the church house with. 
It's my acquaintance. It was Ahithophel. Faithful of the fr- wounds of a friend. You see, people can do that. Nobody can see it. Because why? It's underneath the surface. It's concealed. An obstruction that is concealed there to the natural eye. Yea, even the spiritual eye. And I quote, The last enemy destroyed in the believer is self. It dies hard. It will make any concessions if allowed to live. Self will, or rather self will, permit the believer to do, give, sacrifice, suffer, be anything, go anywhere, take liberties, bear any crosses, afflict body, soul, to any degree, anything, as long as it can live, it will consent to live in a hovel, in a garret, in a slum, far away heathendom, if only its life can be spared. That was Saul's temptation, wasn't it? Keep it alive. No, slaughter everything. Keep it alive. We'll keep some of the good stuff around. No problem with that. A few sheep, a couple ox, some goats, lambs, whatever. He spared them. And Samuel is crying and weeping all night over Saul's disobedience because he wants to keep some stuff alive. We have an attractive bearing, Brother Charlie. Nobody can tell. Huh? We retain those forms. They're refined. Virtues of the flesh. Cultured kindness, one man said. A studied smile. A fair show in the flesh. Though it be cultured. Though it be kind. Though it be religious. It is all doomed to death. It's hard to spot. Hard to pin down. And it's hard to admit that the motive was totally pure. Listen, folks. The Holy Ghost does pinpoint evangelism. And he'll zero right in. Why? Uh, I think he cares about us. Limb after limb, log after log, day after day, mud pack after mud pack, until finally the flow is almost completely impeded. Not totally, but almost. You see, after all, we have to remain respectable. We've got a reputation to protect. We don't want folks suspecting anything. We've got to maintain that certain level. You know, the world record for treading water is 108 hours. And that's what most people try to do. The Navy SEALs only got to tread water for 12 and a half minutes. This fellow did it for four days. And he wants to cleanse the church. To clean out all the hindrances to the flow. And that means cleansing the individual. And that means the flesh is chased out. And that means the liars and the false accusers and all that's up in there are faced with truth. 
It happened at Pentecost with Peter in his preaching. He's anointed. Hearts are convicted. They're crying out, what must we do to be saved? People recognize their sin and they wanted freedom. They wanted freedom. You see, that makes a difference. You can't help people that don't want freedom. They die in the wilderness. They die in despair. And they die in their confusion. And their heart gets hotter and harder and harder until there's total resistance. They don't want a preacher in their midst. They don't want a prophet in their midst. Because folks don't face up to the truth. They don't face up to the exposure. And an innocence of fire were found out. You may get away with it in one of them carnal high churches. There's plenty of them out there. You can get away with it. You can get away with it in the dead, dry churches. Come on here. Amen. But you can't in a church full of the Holy Ghost. You ain't getting away with it. And the eager beavers, they seem to grow two heads. I mean, never stop gnawing. They never stop jamming up the flow. And, and, and the enemy starts out small. One thing lodges. He gets another foothold. He piles it on. People are unaware about it. They're unconcerned. It's taking place until the Holy Ghost, amen, is stopped up by the flesh, the carnal, the devil, jamming it up. Doubt, fear, pride, lust, music, sports, entertainment, unforgiveness. On and on it goes. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And it mostly is through neglect. When William Booth got them fellas up in that train car, he told them, listen, fellas, I'm going to warn you of something. The tendency of fire is to go out. You better guard your heart. You better get it fixed. You better get it established. That's what God wants. Amen. Oh, this is going over like a pork chop in a synagogue, I can tell. You see, he said the tendency of fire is to go out. You see, beavers add one more thing in here. They ain't done. You know what they do? Brother Timothy? They put a lodge right smack dap in the middle of the whole mess. You know what a beaver lodge is? It's got all them secret tunnels going on through there and all like that and everything. Come on now. They put all that down and, and, and they can get through and, you know, they get in the water and they know right where all that stuff is. Amen. Nobody can see it. And they take up residence there. That's why it's called a lodge. <laughs> huh? You see, the only cure is a good stick of dynamite. That's what fixes it. And you know where I'm going. It's that dunamis power and that Holy Ghost power, amen, that can blow that dam up, amen. And when the Holy Ghost starts blowing the dam up, amen, you better get out of the way. If you really want that stuff out of your life, you see, the demolition begins and the obstruction gets removed. There is a river. There's a river. And this, this, this body... This body of Christ. I remember, oh my. You know, there was a flood over there in Johnstown. And that fellow, they were trying to rescue a fellow about from here to Brother Bob back there. And they put out a human thing out there trying to get to him, you know. And and, and um, they got to him. He's hanging onto a tree like this. And the Johnstown flood killed like 2,000 and something people. And this fellow's holding on for his life. And, and, and they're trying to get him so he can get him to shore probably this far. 
Not far at all, but there's a raging river going on here, and he's holding on for his life. And 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 they said, "Okay, now you you just let go and let go, and 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 we'll get you, and we'll just get you to shore." This, this, this rope and chain and every uh, tra- like a human chain and rope and all that they had going on there. And and he said, I, "That's all well and good, but something there's something wrapped around my ankle." And what are you talking about? I said, "Something has got a hold of my ankle." story. And that fellow went down under the water, and to his shock, there was a woman who had, in her fight, as she got, you know, she lost it. And she's in that, she's drowning. And she's, for the last thing she reached for, anything. And I don't know how that works, it's just you can imagine it. It's horrifying. And she grabbed onto whatever it was, and she put a death grip on his ankle right and he got down, and that fella, whoever it was, had to, you know, hold it on for dear life. He had to peel the the fingers. You had to, that's what it's called. That's a death grip. You had to peel the fingers off that weapon or that, in this case, that ankle. And he finally got it, you know, uh, released, and there she went to save his life. And the Scripture says this in Romans 7. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's what it means. They chain a prisoner to that fellow that is condemned to die. Who can deliver me from this? And we know Romans 7 is not the normal Christian life. Romans 8. You see, this body of Christ, when you refuse to remove that obstruction, it clogs the flow. It's just a freckle, Brother Matt. No, it isn't. It's a cancer. Huh? It ain't just a freckle. Whose span is in his hand, the purging, right after the promise of the outpouring, there's a promise of cleansing, and he will thoroughly or thoroughly purge his floor, winnowing the wheat from the chaff. Amen? Separating that. The chaff is all through the church. It can't stay. Worldlings, compromisers have to be uprooted. Corruption, amen, the fake, the false, everything, without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. Why? So he can present to Jesus a chaste virgin, plunging in the winnowing fork, amen, in the capable hands of the Holy Ghost. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time has come. For thee to reap for the harvest of the earth, for it is ripe. As we wrap up here tonight, Ezekiel 47, I draw your attention to that. In the closing hours of time, we need to ask, is there something jamming the flow? Is there something preventing the flow? You say, I don't booze, drugs, you know, I got, you know, television and all that stuff. That's all good. Wonderful. But remember... It's not always that stuff. In this vision, Ezekiel sees a life-giving river flowing from the temple, out from under the altar. And as it flows, it gives way to more depth, more width, more fruit, to all of it. Amen. Amen. To everything that it touches. There's healing waters there. Amen. As it dumps out into, as I understand it, the Dead Sea. But there's a problem here. 
Amen? The miry place. The miry place. In the midst of all the life, there's a miry place. There's muck there. Amen? We see Solomon has been given charge, but he's got a miry place. He likes the outlandish women. Nehemiah identified that. When we read in Nehemiah 13 and 26, he spake of Solomon's strange women and outlandish women that caused him to sin. This is God's top dog. I mean, he's pretty important. We have Nadab and Abihu. Amen. Aaron's sons. They're high priests and you can hear their voices. I'm going to justify myself. We're special. We're holy seed. We're exemptions. And they died offering strange fire in Numbers 3 and 4. Amen. Samson, the angels are heralding his birth. There's no strong drink. Amen. A Nazarite vow is taken. He's throwing gates off cities. 3,000 foxes. He's tied their tails together. He's killing Philistines with a, a thousand of them to be exact. With a jawbone of an ass. Amen. He's endued with power. Amen. He's warned to leave that forbidden stuff alone. But he's got a penchant. And she wearies him. She wants to know the secret power. I'm God's chosen one. I'm a champion, he says. He retorts, I'm important to God. Amen. And day by day, he disregards God's instructions. And she presses him until he tells all of his heart. He loses his power. He's made sport of, he's miring in the filth, and the Bible says that he wist not, he wist not that God's Spirit had left him. He didn't know. That's dangerous stuff. Moses, no, not Moses, yeah, 1,200 times he's in the Bible. Called by God, burning bush, Red Sea, on Moriah, Ten Commandments, manna, quail, waters from the rock. But we read in, 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 in uh, Exodus, I'll get it, 4 and 24, And it came to pass by the way of the inn that the Lord met him and sought to worship with him and have fellowship with him. You know? No, he sought to kill him. He sought to kill Moses. Because Zipporah, she was offended with all this stuff on the circumcision and all that. And, 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 and so he listened to her and he said, I'm God's chosen. Maybe. I met him at the burning bush. You know, I can exercise a few liberties here. Surely God won't mind. It's just a technicality. The Lord's not bothered with these trivial matters. After all, I'm the emancipator. I'm the dad, I'm the mom, I'm the pastor, and the associate pastor, and the evangelist, the missionary. I can do this stuff. You better listen. You see, he presumed on God. And he went from holy God, a holy ground to dangerous ground. And finally, Nehemiah recognizes there an unholy alliance between Tobiah, who's leaning on the wall, mocking the workers, and Eliashib, the pastor of the church, the priest. You better be careful who you fellowship with. You better be careful who you yoke with. You better be careful. Because it happened here. No Ammonite shall enter. None 
Deuteronomy 23 and 3, and Nehemiah 2, chapter 4, chapter 13, no Ammonite. Don't give place to the devil. He saw the encroachment, Nehemiah did. And that's what we need. We need to see this stuff for what it is. And you got to kick them out. you got to evict them. Huh? Now all these things are written for your admonition and my admonition. It happened unto them. It happened unto us even. For our admonition, for in samples, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Jericho looks pretty good in Second Kings chapter 2. The situation of the city is pleasant. Aesthetically, the shrubs look sharp, Brother Charlie. The grass is cut. You landscapers here, everything looks really sharp. But as you can see, they told Elisha, Jericho's water is barren and it's given over to this salt. Or whatever the problem was, it was just contaminated. And there are two words that I noticed there. You know, ain't no problem dumping that into the septic. But if that's full of septic and I dump it into my well, we got some problems. That's all it takes. Not even that much. We got a bunch of stuff going on. Sick kids, sick everybody. You see, there was a problem with the water here in Jericho. It was barren. And there were two words in verse number 21. And they're simply this. In there. In there. And what does that denote? Amen. It denotes internally. You know, like Jesus dealing with the Pharisees in Matthew 23, there's an abrogation of the inward. You're full of dead men's bones. And on and on Jesus went. And they said, no, we can fix this thing externally. But remember, the temple sanctifies the gold, and the altar sanctifies the gift. We can never surrender to a person. Whom we do not trust. You see, Elisha said, you cast it in there. And it's the location. And the admonition was simply this. You put it in the place and the source of contamination. You get a new cruise and you fill it with salt. And you don't just get it and start paying it out like you do deer corn or something. So you put it in a new cruise, and you that's how you're to administer it. And there's an application there. A new cruise was what he called for. We need a new vessel. Not some old that we can put new wine in. Don't pray. It's, it's just a sloppy mess. It never works. A type of the Spirit. Amen. And, and, and so we see the contamination. By the way, the waters were healed. They were healed because they did it the right way. They didn't just do whatever and just mess and gum around and hit a lick at it like most people do. It's good enough. 
Romans 8, 1 through 11, seven times in the first 11 verses, in Christ or in the Spirit. Verse 1 through 11, Romans 8, verse 1 through 11, seven times in 11 verses. In Christ or in the Spirit. The Holy Ghost is able to take everything we dare to give and give everything we dare to take. He's willing. Now, I got that quote from somewhere. It might have been Brother Greer again. I don't know. Now, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm about done. You know, in there. I don't know what's all in here, in there. Whatever's in there. But given we're close to the Lord's coming and all this happening and everything just spiraling and plummeting down so rapidly. And we all kind of know each other, I guess, you know, but God knows those things, doesn't he? He knows the circumstances. I mean, sparrows fall. Flowers are... You know, arraying, you know, they're, they're arrayed beautifully. Lilies, you know, and, 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 you know, hairs. He knows every number. I mean, he knows all about it, doesn't he? He knows because he's done the searching. He knows you're down sitting and you're uprising. He knows what compasses our path and what's before us. And he'll go behind us and before us. That's what he said. He knows and is acquainted with all our ways. He knows our thoughts afar off. He has innumerable thoughts toward us, of which the summation of them are infinite grains of sand on a beachhead. Such knowledge, the psalmist said, is too high and wonderful. I cannot attain unto it. And then he asked the question, whither shall I go? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Right? Do we realize the importance of being filled and led of the Holy Ghost? It sounds to me like he's pretty capable of removing these impediments if we let him. It sounds to me like he can be trusted. Why aren't we doing it? Whoever you are, God just don't just throw this stuff out here for... It's for the preacher too. Especially if it were not so... I would have told you. He says, launch out into the deep. Launch out. Let's stand here tonight. Well, Brother Matt, Brother, I don't know what song you had, but if you... Probably going to play There's a River. Maybe that would work. But if you had another one, fine. A lot of folks, you know, they just want to kind of, you know, 
got a little further in there. About knee deep. Thrown out. And most people, they get in ankle deep water and they start doing this. And you ever get in the pond, you get in the creek, you go swimming, what happens? You can't see nothing. Because it's all stirred up. You can't even see which way to go. We had divers at them caves over there where I worked, you know. They'd get in there, silt it up, and they'd come up drowned. Silt the whole thing. Can't see where you're going. But what do most people want to do? I control the flow of the river. And the flow of the river does not control me. That's why he told him, get out there. Launch out into the deep. Get there, out there in waters to swim in. That's what God, it's going to take that in this last day. If we're going to see God move like we want Him to move in our hearts, out on these campuses, on the streets, in our families, whatever it may be, we're going to have to launch out, brother. We're going to have to get out there. Where, as Brother Clendenin said, the only justification for me being out here is Christ. Christ, but uh, definitely true for us, amen, and uh, we have to have that heart, that hunger, first of all, we need to keep believing, we, we want that river to flow, amen, and if there's any hindrance, any obstruction that we would be contributing, that we want the Spirit of God to touch that, to deal with us. For us to be willing to go out into waters to swim in. Amen. And not frustrate the grace of God. Because God's going to have his way with anyone who truly wants the perfect will of God. That That's for individuals. That's for churches. Amen. And if we as a church if really, really want revival and God to move then he's going to remove every hindrance. And if that means there's individuals that won't, don't, or are unwilling to lay down that obstruction that they brought, then they will be removed. Amen? So it's for each of us, amen, to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, to be willing, amen, to press in, to understand the lateness of the hour. It's no time to be dabbling with God. Amen? It's time to be totally, completely sold out. Praise God. May God give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Hey, Brother Jeremy, would you close us with prayer?